and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Okay, and the, the second reading is from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and that's in uh, page 1065 of the Church Bibles. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Great, I'm going to pray as we look at this part of God's Word. Let's pray. So, Father, we want to pay special attention this afternoon to the work of your Holy Spirit in our individual lives, in the lives of our uh, city church congregation, and in this wider world. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see something of what you do that we might worship you more, that we might walk in step with you more closely, and that we might be more available to you to use us in this world that you've made. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as my kids get older, it's always an interesting struggle to figure out what to get them for Christmas. And sometimes it's something fairly standard from the shop. Other times it's a bit more creative. And this Christmas, uh, my, my oldest, my son Judah, uh, his bike was falling apart. He, he's put miles and miles and miles on it going to school and going to rowing. And so as a gift for Christmas, I said that we would help him overhaul his bicycle. This would be no small task. We ordered the parts in for him, uh, uh, put him to work and trying to do as much of it as he could. Uh, here's a picture of the bike on the bike stand. This is what it looks like currently. So it currently only has one wheel, no pedals, and is up there on the stand. Uh, I've been trying to teach him as he does the work on the bike. 
how to work in an orderly fashion. It's very important when you're doing mechanical things to try and keep your workspace well-ordered so you don't lose the parts. And here's the picture, the next picture of what the workbench currently looks like. Uh, you can see he's really taken that lesson to heart, you know, and he's, he's trying to keep the workspace ordered. There's the other wheel up on the stand. But my son, as he uh, works on his bicycle, this is the first time that he's ever done it. And inviting him to do this overhaul, this refresh of his bicycle, I knew that this would involve me all the way. I've done lots of bike repairs uh, in, in my years. I know how to put the cassette on, how to put the chain on, how to replace the bottom bracket, how to true a wheel. And if I were just to say to Judah, you go and do this, you sort it out, what would happen if I just abandoned him and left him to his own devices? Well, the project would fail. And so instead, uh, though he is exerting his effort, it's really a partnership between uh, him and me. And I'm giving him all the wealth of the, the, the little bit of experience I have and the expertise, and that's how the project is getting done. Now, if you're new to City, you will have just learned this Sunday that we've recently made some little tweaks to the service. Not a, a whole overall, you'd say, but a bit of a refresh. Um, and we're in danger in our Christian life as individuals in our life together as a church family. Whenever we try and improve things or uh, refresh our walk with God or our church life, are being tempted to believe that what we do is what makes all the difference, that it's all down to us. So as we refresh our city church congregation and our life together, we thought, what a great chance to be reminded that it's not at the end of the day down to us. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is the one the church looks to to give us spiritual life as a church family, as we believe in, in Jesus and seek to follow him. Just as if my son were to try and fix the bike on his own, so too if we think that our lives as Christians and our life together as a Christian body is down to us, this will be a failed project. But if we know that the Holy Spirit, with all the wealth of his power and leading, is the one on whom it ultimately counts, well then, I'm excited about what might happen. So our big question for this series as we look at the work of the Holy Spirit through different passages throughout the Bible, our big question is, what's he up to in each of our lives together and in our world? You see, the Christians believe that there's one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you will have noticed that as we said the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord. And then that last section, I believe in the Holy Spirit. You see how the Apostles' Creed is framed, it believes in one God, but it knows that God exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one God who exists in three persons. Now, way back in the Bible, the fact that there was one God is clearly taught. Uh, if, if one time you were to turn back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, it's called the Shema, and it teaches this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your strength. So the early uh, uh, followers of, of God, the Israelites, they were surrounded by cultures that worshipped all sorts of many, many different kinds of gods. And among them, God's people said, no, there's one God. There's only one. And because there's only one, you're meant to worship him with all you are. You don't divide up your affections among the various gods based on how they might be able to help you with your crops and maybe another with your romantic life or another with your financial life. No, because there's one God, you give him all of your affection and worship. And that's right at the heart of the Bible's teaching. There's one God over against the other religions that believed in many, many, many gods. But then as the Bible goes on, he shows us more and more about himself. And with the Son of God becoming human in Jesus Christ, he started to show his people that, yes, he's always been one God, but now he's, he has also always existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So though this wasn't clear to the Israelites at the beginning of the Bible, as the Bible goes on, it's like he's showing us more and more of himself uh, until he gets to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's clear that this is the Son of God become human, and he's to be worshipped as God, and yet there aren't three gods. And so that leads to the belief in the Father and of the Son, and then as the church is born and the Holy Spirit comes to work so personally in the church's life, it's clear that he too is fully God. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I love uh, The Lord of the Rings. You've heard me talk about The Lord of the Rings movies, and I've read the books uh, uh, several times. And my favorite character is the character of Strider, right? And what I like about Strider is that right from the beginning, he's the king, right? Uh, the reader knows from the early parts of the book that Strider is the, the, the king. He already is the rightful heir to the throne. And yet, at the beginning of the book, he's cloaked, right? He appears like he's just like this ranger, this mysterious ranger. And then as the books progress and you get to the final story, the return of the king, uh, there he is, the cloak is thrown off and all his glorious armor is shown and the crown is on his head. And we get to see at the end what Strider really has been all along. And it's like that with how God kind of gradually takes his cloak off throughout the story of the Bible, and by the time it drops to the floor and we see the full glory, we realize, wow, there's this mystery. There's one God who exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus sends out his disciples after he's died, been buried, and risen up from the grave, and he's sending us out into all the world, he sends us out, Matthew 28, 18 to 19 puts it this way. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, name there is in the singular. One name. And yet, three names in that one name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Now, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, maybe the Holy Spirit can be the hardest one for us to understand for a few reasons. Maybe we can relate more to the ideas of God as Father or God as Son because we have fathers and sons more in our everyday lives. But the Holy Spirit, maybe we can as easily connect with something in our everyday existence. 
Plenty is said in the Holy Spirit about the Holy Spirit in the Bible, but less is said about him by comparison than is said of God the Father and God the Son. Another reason is that the Bible puts Jesus at the forefront of its story. He really is the crux, the pivot point upon which the whole of the Bible turns. And the Holy Spirit, of course, was the one who authored the Bible through the human writers. And so he wanted, as he, as he spoke through those human authors, he wanted Jesus to be at the very center of the whole story. I guess, in a way, he wanted the Bible not to focus on himself as much as he wanted it to focus on Jesus, because Jesus is the one who saves us and the one in whom we're to believe for salvation. Maybe that's one of the reasons why we find it harder to understand who the Holy Spirit is. Maybe because the King James Version of the Bible, which was really influential in the English-speaking world for hundreds of years, translated the Holy Spirit with the words Holy Ghost. And that made it seem even more strange, didn't it? An unhelpful translation. One time when Julie and I were fairly newly married, we took a, a, a trip to Scotland. Have I told you this story? And I was probing into my Scottish heritage as a Turnbull. And uh, my grandfather had visited had a grave site in a place called Newcastleton, Scotland. And I was going there to find my relatives, the long lost relatives that my grandfather had said were there. And so there Julie and I are uh, seeing Europe for the first time, uh, having traveled from Canada. And what are we doing but walking through a graveyard in Scotland, right? And trying to find the Turnbulls there. What a romantic thing to do, you know. Sweetheart, let's handle this systematically, okay? You take it from the back, I'll take it from the front. We'll find all the Turnbulls in here. Isn't this great? And she was so excited. She loved it. She loved it. But sure enough, we found a tombstones that said Turnbull on them. And we thought, this must be one of my relatives. And it was all kind of, the, the writing was already beginning to wear off the stone. And there was no real sense that this person had any impact in my present life some kind of historic relative hundreds of years ago that made no impact on our today. Maybe the Holy Spirit might feel that way to some of us here. We know he's important, but his importance maybe seems kind of in the past. What does it really have to do with my day-to-day -day life? And so today, today we're looking at these two texts of the, that speak of the Holy Spirit's work. The first is from the Old Testament, Genesis 1, 1 to 5 which refers to the Holy Spirit in God's work of creation on the very first page of the Bible. And the second is from the New Testament, and it speaks of the Holy Spirit's role in salvation, which involves a work of spiritual recreation inside of us. So let's look at each of these briefly in turn. First, we're going to see that you were made by the Holy Spirit. Second, we're going to see that you were made for more. The Holy Spirit wants to remake you from within. You were made by him for more of him. You were made for more when it comes to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. So open then to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. You were made by the Holy Spirit. Here on the first page of the Bible, we begin to see the role of the Holy Spirit in the creation of all people, even more in the creation of all things. We're told on this very first page, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here we are right at the beginning of the world as we know it, and we get this chaotic picture of an unformed, empty mass, chaotic waters, the surface of the deep. And on each of the six days of creation that are about to come, God will take that and will form it and he'll fill it. He'll form and fill this world from the chaotic, dark deep. But right here at the beginning, we see God's spirit is present, hovering, we're told, over the surface of the deep. The word here translated spirit by our English translators can also be translated by wind or breath. But nowhere else in the Old Testament is the verb hover applied to this word spirit when, it's, when it means wind or breath. So we get this hint that something else is going on here. Now, of course, uh, many people think that Moses was the one who wrote Genesis. And of course, if he did, whoever wrote it, or if Moses, if it was him, wouldn't have seen the full significance of his words. Remember by the time that Genesis was written, God's people did know that there was one God, but they didn't quite yet see that he existed in three persons, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. The cloak was still on, you might say, in terms of how much God had shown of himself. But as Christians, we rightly look back on the Old Testament knowing that at times they, wrote them, they themselves wrote better than they knew as God's Spirit inspired what they were writing. And so on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was finally poured out on God's, God's people and all the Christians gathered there, the Apostle Peter stood up uh, um, among the crowds that were wondering what was going on, all these people speaking in different languages. They were asking, have they drunk too much? And Peter stands up and says, no. What's happening here is that God's Holy Spirit has been poured out. And he quotes the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2. And these are Peter's words quoting Joel. Acts chapter 2 verse 16. Now this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, Peter says. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Now, of course, Joel didn't know that God was triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when he wrote. He didn't know that he was writing about the Holy Spirit when he spoke about God's Spirit being poured out on all people. He didn't have the full picture. But Peter, after having met Christ and starting to read the whole of the Old Testament through this encounter he had had with Jesus, rightly did see what Joel said as referring to the third person of the Trinity. And so Peter explains what Joel's talking about by saying in verse 33 of chapter 2 of Acts, exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And so when we look back on Genesis chapter 1, we read it like Peter read Joel chapter 2. And we see that it was the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters there at the beginning. Not just God's Spirit in the sense of his kind of breath or his, his power, not in an impersonal sense, but the person of the Holy Spirit was there right from the beginning. And when God said, let there be light, the Spirit sprung into work and created light. 
And when God said, let the air fill with birds and the sea teem with fish, the Holy Spirit sprung into action and gave life to all those creatures. And so the rest of the Old Testament goes on to say that whenever something has the breath of life in it, whenever it's got a beating heart and beating lungs, it has it, that life, because of the Holy Spirit. Just one reference in Job, Job 34, 14 to 15. Elihu says, if it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. Here's what this means. You were made by the Holy Spirit. Every living thing that breathes on this earth was made initially by the Holy Spirit. And were the Holy Spirit to be withdrawn from this world, all of life would collapse. Your life would collapse. That's how closely the Holy Spirit is involved in your life and mine. You see, think many today uh, think of God's involvement of the world kind of like one of those old school alarm clocks. I have a digital alarm clock now. But I used to have one of those the ones that you'd wind up at the back to keep the clock going, you know, and you'd set it. And if you let the clock tick down, then it would, it would stop keeping time. And folks often think about God's involvement of the world, if he does exist, like he kind of wound up the clock at the beginning and then uh, kind of set it aside and now hands off and lets it kind of tick on. But the picture we get here is that the Holy Spirit is actually giving life every day to every little creature, every little sparrow that we see fly over the Isis River. He's given life to that little creature. He gives life to me and you. Different uh, artists have tried to capture in their paintings what it might have, uh, just in, in some way, what this idea of the Spirit hovering over the waters. I've got the, the first one, if it would come up. Oh, this is a painting by a contemporary artist called Zabrowski, and that's how he kind of tried to capture the Spirit hovering over the waters. Another, uh, by the name of Lawrence Ellis, put it this way. This is another kind of contemporary painter and tried to paint it this way. And here's, of course, you can't capture it, right? You can't say this is the Holy Spirit. Of course not. But it's trying to capture what the Spirit does. And what he did back then in the past is what he does now in your present and if you're facing the chaos of life right now and you feel it's just you in the chaos, well, remember, you were made by the Holy Spirit. It's never been just you and the chaos, the, the, the dark, stormy waters. It's never been that. It's never been that way in our world. He's always been there as God's presence, molding, forming, creating out of the darkness. And if you're facing chaos in your life right now, uh, an obstacle, a challenge that seems so big and it feels like it's just you and the horror of this thing that's happened. It's never been that way and it's not that way now. The Holy Spirit made you and he can make something out of this chaos and bring fresh life out of the ground even in this horrible trial that you might be facing. You were made by the Holy Spirit. And then, secondly and finally, you were made for more 
of the Holy Spirit. It's not enough to have been created by the Holy Spirit. We need him to give us a whole new spiritual rebirth from the inside out so that we can enter the kingdom of God. We've looked at Genesis 1 to 5, the Holy Spirit's work in creation. And now just briefly looking at the Holy Spirit's work in salvation, how he changes us from the inside. You see, in this very room, I'm sure that there are some here who have been reborn by the Holy Spirit. And there are some here who think they've been reborn by the Holy Spirit but haven't been. And there are some here who know that whatever this idea of the Holy Spirit giving rebirth inside, whatever that is, some of you know that you haven't experienced it. So why did this become necessary? Jesus speaking to Nicodemus and saying, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's not enough for the Holy Spirit to have created you. He has to, he has to almost do a second work of creating you from the inside. You have to be born again. Jesus says to Nicodemus, well, the reason is because humanity fell and turned away, turned away from God. And each of us are part of that wider human race that said to God, stay away. And because of that, our insides have become broken and spiritual death has entered into our hearts. We're like fish that have been cast out of the water. And we're gasping to get back into the sea. Sin stains and makes us unclean. But the work of Jesus shedding his blood on the cross makes it possible for the Holy Spirit to remake us from the inside out. And so when Jesus came, he made it clear that the Holy Spirit, who, yes, in the beginning, in each of our beginnings, gave us life and created us, also needs to remake us at the very core of our being, a work, a change so drastic in our hearts that it's spoken of by Jesus as a whole new birth. Have you experienced this new birth? Have you been tempted to think that religion is a matter of coming to church, believing certain things in your head, going through certain rituals, trying a bit harder, Jesus says, well, if that's what some religions are about, fine. But let me let you understand what I'm about. I'm about making your heart new, giving you a whole new birth within. So uh, here's a picture from uh, the, the TV series called The Chosen. Our family fell in love with us with this series over the Christmas time as we started watching it on Amazon. And I love the scene of uh, Jesus and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, of course, in the Bible and in the show, is this senior religious person who's got a lot of religious knowledge. And yet, Jesus, as the younger man, has to open his eyes to see what it will take for even a good man like Nicodemus to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3 of chapter 3 of John's Gospel. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, Jesus says to Nicodemus. How can someone be born when they're old, he asks. Surely they can't go a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit, unless they have a natural birth 
and have a spiritual rebirth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes, where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So this means and is drawing attention to it's kind of like how the wind moves. We can't really see how it works, but we know that it's there because we see its effects. We, we see that it works, not directly, but kind of by uh, indirectly. And so it is with how the Spirit changes our individual lives. It's something of a mystery. All of us have been made by the Holy Spirit in terms of our initial creation, but each of us is invited to be remade by the Holy Spirit as we trust in Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit works a change with us from within. What it looks like is you putting your trust, your, your deepest personal trust in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how you know ultimately whether you've been born again. And when that happens, it happens because God's Holy Spirit gives a rebirth in you. And so Jesus goes on from saying this about the Spirit to speak about the importance of believing in Him. For God so loved the world, Jesus says, that He gave His one and only Son, i.e. me, Jesus, that whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He works in our dead spiritual hearts so that we see something of the glory of Jesus Christ in our inner being, and we put the deepest trusts of that inner being in Jesus and were made new. I've had chance now uh, to be in, in the birthing room uh, three different times. And um, one thing that's true of that experience is that there's, uh, within our family when we're in those rooms, there are two people who aren't doing any work and there's one person who's doing a whole lot of work, right? I mean, as the, as the husband, as the father, it, my goodness, uh, it was stressful. I felt that I myself needed to grab that gas mask, you know. Um, but I wasn't doing any work. There's nothing that I could do to give birth to either Judah, Abigail, and Anna. And of course, Judah and Abigail and Anna, they also weren't doing any work in that experience, were they? But there was one person who was, and that's my beloved wife, Julie, who was, of course, doing the work of giving birth, right? And that's Jesus' point in drawing attention in his illustration of how the Holy Spirit needs to work on our lives to the idea of birth. You see, if you think that you become a Christian, at putting at the, at the, at the base of it, if it's about you doing things, did you give birth to yourself? Could you, uh, you know, exert your muscles and make birth happen? No, birth is something that happened to you from beyond you. It's something that happened to you as a gift to you. And in the same way, it's this way with the Holy Spirit and how we come to trust in Christ. He's the one who makes us new from within. You were made by the Holy Spirit, but you were made for more. The Holy Spirit wants to remake you. I've got an illustration here of the ultrasound. I think there's another one more picture there, Al. And uh, this is, this is a, a bit of what it's like. We all were in there as uh, initial children in our mother's womb. 
But it's as if it is the truth that in order for us to become Christians, something like this also needs to happen spiritually. It's not something that you can make happen. It's something that you need to ask God to do in your life. And if you're not a Christian here today, here's what this means for you. It means that you're not to think that the Christian life is mainly about rules or outward rituals or coming to church. Those things are a part of the Christian life. But the Christian life at its very core is about us being born, changed by the Holy Spirit in our deepest being. And if you're saying, Andy, I know that hasn't happened to me. I thought it was all about what I was thinking, what I was doing on the outside, what I did in terms of my week, the groups I hung out with, the things I did or didn't do. You're missing out. And you're invited to ask Jesus, please, I believe in you. Would you make me new from within? And if you are a Christian and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you have been born again, Here's what it means for us. It means that we don't go on in the Christian life in a way that's different from the way it began. It's not like he gets it started for us and then we take it in hand and we make it happen from there. No. Just as it started by a work of the Holy Spirit that was more powerful than us, so too it goes on that way. And so much of the Christian life is saying, I'm at the end of myself again, God. I can't do it again, God. I'm broken again, Lord. I've screwed up again, God. Can you please come and birth your spirit's life through me again? I need you to do it again, just as you did at the beginning. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, well, you were made by him. And you're made for more of him. Let's pray as I invite the band to come up. And we respond to what we've heard. So, Lord, for anyone here this, this afternoon who's saying, I thought it was all about uh, religion, please, Lord, would you touch their conscience, their heart, speak to them now in the name of Jesus Christ and say, I have more for you. I have a personal relationship with my Son and with the Holy Spirit for you. And for any of us who are Christians and have already been born again, who've taken the Christian life into our own hands, into our own strength, God, we say we're sorry. We rest ourselves back in your Spirit's power. Thank you that you're hovering over our life even now. And thank you that for those of us who are Christians, you're actually dwelling within us. The very power that rose Jesus from the dead inside of us to help us meet the challenge of the day. We take heart and we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.